main activist. Some people in town say the base is run by aliens working with our federal government to conduct mind control and genetic experiments. I'm leaving. I'm glad. Thanks a lot, society, for railroading my ass. Hey y'all, welcome to the Eerie Americas. This is your host, Christy Holt. This is Vicky Ayala. Vicky and I have had a very busy week slash weekend. I had some people over that I haven't seen in a very long time. It was super exciting. And Vicky started school. So we are catching up on our catch up. I started on a Sunday. We take evening school and evening school has weird hours. And I'm really tired. Although I have to say that Christy was going to take one for the team and just do a catch up on her own. But I'm like, no. If you're not, if you're too busy, I can talk to myself for two minutes. It's no big deal. Um, only cause like I write down whenever something funny happens. So what happened? I have a severe dry eye cause I have Sjogren's syndrome. So it affects my gland, my salivary glands. So I get really, really, really dry eye. I, I have had really big issues with my vision. Christy knows that there was like a day where I literally couldn't see out of one of my eyes for 45 minutes and it was Ooh. really weird and scary. So I go to the doctor and he's like looking at my eyeball and He's like, oh, well, your tears disappear the minute that you blink. And I'm like, of course, because we know I have no fucking emotions and I never cry. And I couldn't even, <laughs> I literally couldn't cry if I wanted to. So he puts what are called punctal plugs. They're like these little teeny tiny plugs that they put in like the corner of your eye, your inner eye. And basically it's supposed to prevent your tears from like draining into your sinus cavity. It's supposed to like keep it in your eye. They're microscopic. They're super tiny and they dissolve within three months. But me and my paranoid, anxious ass swears that I can feel these things in my eye every day. Literally every fucking day. I'm like, oh, of course they felt it after. Like, oh, there you go. And then so like, so it's totally psychosomatic. But every single day, I swear that I can fucking feel these plugs in my eye when it is literally impossible. But it's every day. I'm like, oh my God, I can feel them. It's dislodged. I'm going to, I'm going to rub my eye and it's going to come out. And it's just, it's been like a nonstop cycle of anxiety thinking that I can feel punctal plugs in my eye when it's impossible to feel them. And I'm like, I'm going to tell Christine, she's going to laugh at me. Well, that's not that funny for (laughs) the pain that you're, the the, the mental anguish you're going through, but it's funny to me because I am the, like, once again, even though we're so much alike, we're completely different in so many ways. Because me, there's so many times we're like, why are you crying? And I'm like, I'm not, it's too bright in here. Or I looked in the, the sun, the sun's at at noon, at high noon, and I look at over at one o'clock, and boom, my eyes are tearing up. Like, I cry instantly. And it's not even emotional tears. It's just my eyes are so sensitive that they're constantly watering. So to me, I'm like, that almost sounds good because I don't have to look like I'm constantly bawling. Everyone's like, what's wrong? I'm like, nothing. Nothing is wrong. As Vicky knows, I had to order prescription sunglasses because when I'm driving, I can't see sometimes. So it's so funny that we're just the complete reverse in that way because I, I wish my ducts were dry. <laughs> and so and it's just for all my friends that are like, you you need to cry. You never cry. I couldn't if I wanted to. <laughs> hey, at least you have not. a reason now. You can at least say, I can't. No, literally, I can't. Oh, so that's one of the first things I did was told my therapist because my therapist tells me that, like, I don't express my feelings. And I'm like, see, even if I wanted to cry, I couldn't. It's not even my fucking fault. Physically right. impossible for me to cry. Like, because sometimes I notice that even when I'm getting upset and I'm getting teary-eyed, it looks like I'm doing, like, crocodile tears because nothing's coming out. And I'm like, dude, I swear I'm crying right now. So are you like a Kim Kardashian crier? Like it's all in the mouth for you? I don't really cry much, but I think that because I'm trying so hard to get tears out, it's definitely super ugly crying face. And I'm telling you right now, 
as I'm speaking to you, my eye is dry and I went to, I have an eyelash here and I swear I can feel the puncta plug in my eye. I'm telling you, I can feel it. It's, it's fucking there. You're crazy. That's all. <laughs> it's, I can feel it. I can feel it. Sure. Tell your doctor that. I will tell my doctor that because, mind you, they probably dissolved already and I'm just like, yeah, I can feel it. It's like, Don't worry. I cry enough for the both of us without even having to actually cry. <laughs> Well, you know what's funny? The week that I told my therapist that is another funny story. She gave me homework because I have this issue with like doing things for myself without asking other people. So like I can't make any purchases without asking someone if they like it first. Like I'm like I'm always hesitant to like buy myself something. So she was like, your homework for today is to buy yourself something and not ask anyone. When I tell you the mental anguish I had trying to figure out what I was going to buy myself without asking someone was not worth the lesson. Can she give you one exceptional person? Be like, okay, accept me or accept Ryan. Right. No, I was just like, can I just like, can I, what if I ask someone which color to get? Like, what if I say I'm going to buy this, <laughs> but I don't know what color to buy. Like, can I just tell you, it was between the mental anguish of not being able to ask someone and wanting to make it worth it. Like I'm going to make this purchase. So it has to be worth it. And I struggled so much that I ended up buying the most fucking random thing on the planet. And now I'm just like, what am I going to do with it? I don't know what I'm going to do with this. You don't understand the anxiety behind me sitting there thinking about what to get. And to boot, you can't cry about it. Oh man. (laughs) I couldn't even cry about it guys. I'm sorry. I tried. There's something there's something wrong with me, but we love you for it. It's fine get into something I found on reddit I actually found this in ghost stories. The user is stew the moo. I really do love everyone's creativity We pick these stories because of the username like I would pick stew the moo even even if the story sucked But this one caught my eye right away because it's something where instantaneously I'm like I already know it's creepy because it says my mom's boarding school is creepy. But whenever I hear the word boarding school, I instantly think creep factor anyway because boarding schools are super creepy. Because I always picture like a super old building that has. They're been... always in my brain. They're three to four hundred years old. Like of course they something creepy. They always look kind of there. like castles, and I always am like boarding schools look like super old buildings with a bunch of rich people who definitely have the money to fix it, and they just make it look old on purpose because it's and like supposed to be creepy to their kids. Those rich people want to stay rich even in the afterlife, so they haunt those places. That's what I think, in my opinion, anyway. The rich gonna stay rich <laughs> even after death. My mom is convinced that the boarding school she works at is haunted. Honestly, I am too. There's multiple instances of paranormal shit. I'll write them all down. She was driving with one of her coworkers and they were passing the field and she saw, she said she saw this lady in a black cloak in the middle of a field. They reversed the car to get another look and she was gone. Why would you want to? I'm sure it was like a security measure, but then they went back and were like, holy shit, she's gone. Or you say, what the fuck is this? And you don't go see what the hell that lady in the cloak was, but you know, teach their own, teach their own. Co-worker, I think the one from before, saw the lady in black in the pool house. So now the second sighting of oh, this person okay. now in the pool house. So Just in case you didn't know what it was the first time, she wants to keep her presence known. And taking a dip in the pool. Somebody heard kids playing in the pool in the middle of the night. They went to check and found it empty. Her friend said the windows would randomly open. She'd go and close them and they'd open again. All of a sudden, the door bursts open and papers would go everywhere. No. Mm-mm. So it's like they were like, oh, yeah, we want to mess with my windows. Bam. Like they mm-hmm. would just totally react to whatever they were doing. In one of the dorms, my mom said she saw this lady in a nightgown walking between rooms. Now, mind you, a lady in a nightgown, like people don't live in boarding houses that are teachers anymore. So this has to be somebody who's been there for a long time. She also said when she was in the dorm alone one time, the door sensors, they always have sensors on doors. So if a kid like tries to run away, 
they would just randomly go off. Her friend was walking somewhere and saw someone waving from one of the dorm windows. Turns out there's no group in there, so nobody was at the, in the dorm at the time. Oh, no. One of the buildings used to be a house, and in the living room, the old owner used to smoke cigars, and you can still smell them when you go into the room. Cigars don't last that long, people. It stinks, but not that long. Same friend, I think, who was the, saw the waving person used to have dreams about this little boy on a tricycle, only to find out that the old owner of a property used to visit when he was a child and rode around on a goddamn tricycle. It's literally what it says. I'm sorry, there's so many. I literally was going to type the first two, then I remembered them all as I was typing. LMFAO. Yeah, that's really, really funny. I'm glad, I'm glad you find it funny. They found it humorous. That you meant to write two instances and thought of 27 in the process because it's so fucking haunted. In all my quarantine fun, I started watching Dateline for a ridiculous number of hours straight. Though, to be fair, you've always been a huge Dateline fan. I have, but this was like straight with no break. I don't (laughs) even want to say how many hours because it's really, really embarrassing. And because I don't actually know, I just know that there would be large gaps of time and I would still be watching Dateline. And my friend, she made the mistake of giving me, because now there's Peacock, which has The Office, which of course I downloaded because I missed The Office already. But she gave me her password for like the premium. So it has like every Dateline episode. And I'm like, oh man, Uh you made a mistake. So an ungodly amount of hours watching Dateline. So there's a lot of cases. And while there were a ton of crazy cases, there's one case in particular that I just couldn't shake. It was on my mind. I would be watching another case and still thinking about that case. So now I'm passing my obsession on to you guys. You probably haven't heard of this case. And it's not just because I'm the only psycho who watches Dateline, but it's because it's actually really, really recent. And when I say recent, like 2019, 2020 recent. Got it. So today I'm going to tell you about a woman named Angela Green and the very, very bizarre circumstances surrounding her disappearance. Like I said, the case is really, really recent. We are recording this at the end of January. There was an article two weeks ago about this with an update. So like super recent. So I'm going to go back first to the late 1990s. A man named Jeffrey Green, who was a mechanic and salesman from Kansas, was visiting China for work. There he was introducing to a a woman named Angela. She was a native um, from a town on the outskirts of China, which I'm not going to try to pronounce because I don't want to embarrass myself. Some of those you're just like, forget it, I can't. I'm just not even going to try, but she lived, she's from a a small town on the outskirts of China. She was introduced to Jeffrey by a mutual friend. Now, Jeffrey was already married and divorced by the time he met Angela. He had actually even had a daughter from the previous marriage, but Angela had never been married. She really, really wanted to start a family. So they started dating because they both had this like common thing that they wanted to start a family. They wanted to start a new chapter of their lives. You know, that same old crap you tell somebody when you first start dating them. Yeah, it is the whole spiel. The whole spiel, the whole, the whole thing. Their first date was in China, in Beijing at the Hard Rock Cafe, which I always find funny that they have that everywhere. And they're all the same. And they're not even that good. I'm sorry. They're not, Honestly, I've been to the Hard Rock a few times. It's really not. The food is not great. That's You know, the, the atmosphere is okay, but. It's strictly gimmicky. That's what it's for. It is. It's for tourists. But if you remember, Jeffrey was just visiting for work. He didn't live there. So he did have to come back to the United States. He did have to go back to Kansas. Their relationship did continue. They decided to do the long distance thing. And wow. They from com- China? From China. That's and like this a whole is- day apart. Right. Like, you're not even on the same day. Like, And the funny thing is, of course, this is the late 1990s where they communicated by mail. Yes, people wrote letters and put it in a mailbox and sent it to... Wait, not even on the phone? It was by mail? I was thinking, like, two landlines. That's weird. But mail? It says that most of their communication was done through mail. That ancient form of communication before smartphones. 
Within a year of this long-distance relationship, Angela decided that she was going to actually move to the United States and move to Texas to be with Jeffrey, because eventually one of them had to move. And they ended up getting married. Um, A couple of years later, they had their only child together, a girl named Ellie. And according to Ellie, Angela didn't speak much English, but she could read it and write it perfectly. And Jeffrey didn't speak Chinese, so there was actually a language barrier, and that was a really big, like, cause of issues between them. How do you send each other mail, but you can't understand each other's language? Angela could read and write English perfectly. She just had a problem speaking it. Okay, got it. But he didn't speak Chinese, so when they they couldn't speak to each other, which is like, so what did you guys want to do? Like, write each other letters in front of each other? For the rest of your lives. Yes. It might have worked out better. Who knows? But it's so weird because... As Ellie got older, she spoke both languages and she had to translate for her parents, which I can just imagine is like the most awkward thing on the planet. It's just awkward. I always think about those shows like 90 Day Fiance. I'm like, are they ever going to have offspring that have to do that? And to think that actually has already been an issue before is kind of funny. I think the funniest thing is now that they have like those de- the things on your phone where you could speak the language and it speaks it back. And I'm like, you have a robot talking to you. Like, like what are the guys trying to say something like sexual? And it's like, I want to take off your <laughs> pants. Like, what, what are you doing? You make like, me It's just hot. so awkward. Exactly. Like, it's just so bizarre. But they worked. It worked for them, I guess. That's why they're on Dateline. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Well, maybe it it, it worked for a little (laughs) while. So as the years went by, the couple kind of had a pretty good life. Um, They were just, it's kind of normal. Jeffrey worked um, a federal job from nine to five um, in like IT in federal building. And Angela stayed home, took care of the family. But she kind of depended on him for everything. Like, he took care of everything. And when she would go out, go shopping, do anything, she always had either her daughter or her husband with her, which Chrissy and I have had these conversations. It drives me insane. Like, please leave me alone. Like, even now, my husband's in another room. It's like, leave me alone. But now looking back, Ellie actually thinks that her parents' relationship seemed a little bit more business-like than romantic. But, you know, growing up, that's not what she thought. Like, that's, you know, you're a little kid. You don't really know the difference. You always think your mom and dad right, are like, meant to be together. So, Or you just think that whatever is going on with them is normal. And it wasn't until I adult that I realized throwing dishes at each other's heads wasn't normal. Totally. Like, that's just not what everybody did. I agree. She said that, you know, they... Uh, the daughter, Ellie, said that growing up, her parents did fight, but they, nothing really crazy. She's quoted nothing to the extent of somebody doing something really potential, potentially harmful to each other. So kind of sounds like a normal relationship. And during high school, she said that her parents were super strict, especially her mom. Her mom was really hard on her, wanted her to be perfect. Basically, it sounded like helicopter parenting to me. But, you know, that's all she had. Every, her daughter was everything. So it kind of makes sense that she would act like that. But um, once Ellie graduated from high school and went to her first year of college, that's kind of when she really started to live life. And it happens to a lot of us. We're 18. We think we're adults. We think we know everything. We think we can make decisions. And we just start living life. And so she really did. She even a study abroad program where she lived in Italy for a month. Cool. And so she left for a month and she had a boyfriend. She was with her boyfriend all the time. So she was basically your typical 18-year-old. On July 20th, 2019, she actually came back home to her parents' house for the summer to work. Every job I've ever worked, we always had that once, you know, every couple of months, we would have college students come work for a couple months and leave. So she came back home in July of 2019 to to live at home and work. But she ended up getting into a really big fight with her mom. And her mom actually kicked her out, told her to leave the house. Oh, wow. And Ellie stated, quote, it didn't feel like a big deal. You know when your mom is like, I don't like that new shirt you got, or why are you hanging out with this person? Stupid things like that, which sounds like a pretty typical argument between your mom and... That's a very normal mother-daughter fight. Yeah, especially when the mother is upset that the daughter starts living a life. Like, you know, that sounds pretty legit. But 
Ellie said that even though she thought that the fight would blow over, her mom had never kicked her out before. Like, that's that's the worst ending to a fight they had ever had. Mm. Which, to me, was also surprising because I feel like my mom used to tell me to get out all the time and I never actually left. I think I only left once. Again, things you find that aren't normal when you're an adult. Yeah, right. Um, so she basically left and she went to stay with her boyfriend and his family and she thought that, you know, a couple of days would pass and, like, it would blow over and she would go back home. After three days, she hadn't heard from her mom. And then she ended up getting a text message from her father, Jeffrey, saying that he had her mother, Angela, committed to a psychiatric hospital after she had a quote-unquote mental health crisis. She reaches out a few days later and her mom's in a psych ward? Yeah, she hadn't heard from her mom for a few days and then her father texted her like, hey, your mom went batshit and I committed her. She found it very sus because, one, you can't have an adult forcibly committed unless they're a harm to themselves and what could she have possibly done that was a harm to herself or other people? But also, the father's story sounded weird. He said something about them taking her away in, like, a public parking lot. And that's just not what would have happened. So she was just like, what? But, you know, it's her father and she's 18. And she's like, oh, okay. She asked her father about specifics. Where's the hospital? What was the mental health crisis? What was her diagnosis? What is her prognosis? When is she coming home? Legit questions. Legit questions. Her father told her her, the hospital was down south and that she would be staying there until she gets better. Those are quotes. Down south until she stays better, until she gets better. No diagnosis, no, no, no actual prognosis. And to me, that's super sus. Ellie said that her mom, she knows that her mom had a really, really, really hard time dealing with her going away to college, but that she didn't think that there was any mental health issues. Like they just didn't seem to be a thing to right. her. So she really kind of was like, all right, I know she was sleeping less and eating less because, you know, her daughter just left. But other than that, she was like, what what diagnosis does she have to be committed? Lots of people have mental health issues and don't get committed totally. to a, psychiat- a psychiatry facility. The one thing that she did say is that her mom has started collecting things to the point of hoarding. But again, you don't have somebody committed for hoarding. Yeah, they go talk to a normal psychologist. Exactly. So Ellie was really, really shocked by this thing that her father said. She started asking, like, if she could visit. Her boyfriend also asked because, you know, they used to go and visit her father. And they always asked, like, can they visit? And he would just completely ignore the requests. So a couple of weeks later, Ellie asked to meet with her father so that they could kind of talk about what was going on. So Ellie and her boyfriend drove down and they met with Jeffrey. July of that same year. Okay, gotcha. So Jeffrey tells Ellie and her boyfriend... Angela had suffered a stroke and died at the psychiatric hospital. That went really extreme real quick. That went south in like three weeks. Yeah. He didn't provide any details on her death and told Ellie, please don't tell anybody in your mom's family. Uh Uh-uh. Nope. Sus. Nope. Then told Ellie, because she starts asking like obviously details and like when's the funeral and obituaries and all this other stuff. He said... Oh, somebody from the facility, I don't remember their name. I don't remember the organization. They called me and they said they cremated her and they sent the ashes here. I paid them $1,500 and they sent me an urn with her ashes. Wait, he didn't even want to give her like a full service? Let me tell you something. That is not a thing. That is not how shit works when somebody dies, first of all. And I did some research on this case in Kansas. You cannot cremate somebody without permission or a death certificate. I'm sorry, if someone told me that like a family member died, I wouldn't just be like, okay, cool, send me the ashes, I'll give you $1,500. It doesn't even cost that. Like, it's just so many things wrong with this sentence. But he basically said, yeah, somebody from somewhere called me, said they cremated her and sent me the ashes. I sent $1,500 to this unknown person. 
And Ellie even said that her father was like not the type to just throw money away without knowing where it went. So she found it a little suspicious that he just paid $1,500 to a random person. But she also kind of, this is her dad and she's young and she thought he was grieving. And so she's she, like, grieving too, so she'll take right, anything. So she didn't really push it. Months had passed and there was still no funeral. There was still no obituary published. And she starts like really questioning, like, I know that he's grieving, but what, you know, what the fuck? Yeah. You got to tell somebody. Right. So in that time, Angela's family still knows nothing about her passing. Now, this isn't around July or August. Whoa. This is July or August of 2019. He never even told the family? No, remember, he told her not to tell the family and he didn't tell the family either. So let's fast forward to February of 2020. In February of 2020, Ellie decided that she was going to tell her, her, her mom's family what was going on. So she talks to a, her aunt, her mom's sister, in response to this fucking news, says, okay, where's the, where's her death certificate? Ellie didn't even know what a death certificate was, according to the Dateline special. Probably her first death. She's a kid, doesn't know sure. what death is, yeah. So she was like, oh, okay, let me ask my dad. So she asked her father, hey, where's, you know, is there a death certificate? He was like, yeah, I have a copy at the house. When I get home, I'll text you the copy of the death certificate. Of course, he never sends it. So Ellie's like, cool, I'm going to get it myself. She goes to the Kansas Department of Health and Environment that is in Topeka, Kansas, and everything should be on record. You could be, you should be able to get death certificates, marriage certificates, all that stuff if you go to like, you know, this, you know, wherever it is in your state. So she goes there and they cannot find any death certificate. They don't find any proof of her death. They searched nationwide, not even just in Kansas, nationwide they searched. The only thing that they found was the marriage certificate from her marriage to Jeffrey. That's all they found. So Angela's niece, who is Ellie's cousin, is a lawyer, basically called the police to do a welfare check on Angela because he's like, well, obviously she isn't fucking dead. So let's figure out where she is. So she calls a welfare check. When the police arrive at the house, Jeffrey told them that Angela, he thought she was dead, but she wasn't dead. She was alive and well, and she ran away with a friend. This guy's changed his story like four times now. This is like, see, this is when I don't care who you are. Like, Vicky, if you told me Ryan's died and then, no, he's not dead. He got cremated. Oh, no, wait, never mind. He's running away. I'd be like, bitch, what'd you do? Like, legit, like, at this rate, I, how do you not figure it out? And we're, we're thick as thieves. Like, I would even call you out. Like, I don't care if you're my mom, my dad. I'd be like, what the fuck is going on? This is bullshit. I probably would have called you to bury the body. Super, super suspicious. He had no detail about the friend, no specific dates as to where they left, how they got there, where they went, what vehicle. So that's what that's when Ellie files a missing persons report. So now they're doing further investigations. Angela's purse, passport, phone, driver's license, and car nope. were all found at the home. And in addition, there was no money that had been taken out of her bank account since the last time somebody saw her. People always forget when they fuck with somebody like that. You have to make it look like they're spending their money. Don't take this as a tip to do this. Yeah, but I mean, the point is, is like, it's suspect when people leave their money in their account. How can you get anywhere without money? It's not possible. Like, it just wasn't feasible. Or ID. Or ID. Or passport. Like, you know what I mean? You can't travel different countries. You can't go around without money. It's not possible. This isn't like the 80s and the 70s where everyone... Right. And you could travel with no ID. We're in a po- we're in a post 9-11 world. You need ID to go everywhere. You need ID um, everywhere. And and she's not even from this right. country. There's no way. So just in case you thought maybe she'd be using a credit card, Ellie said her mom didn't use a credit card. She didn't even go shopping on her own. She said that her mom very, very rarely even left the house without either her or her dad accompanying her. So it's not very feasible that this woman would just run away like that. Right. 
At this point, Jeffrey hires a criminal defense lawyer. And it's like some big shot lawyer that worked on this crazy murder kidnapping case that is like really well known. So to me, it's not suspicious that he hired a lawyer. It is suspicious that he hired like this big shot lawyer because it's like, what do you need? Yeah. That would be like you hiring like OJ's lawyer. Like, why would you need to do right. all that? And immediately without even knowing where your wife affirmatively is. That means you know. Well, what's even more suspicious is that him and his lawyer refuse to comment on anything. They have refused to talk to police or the media. So Ellie states that her father hasn't provided any more information about her mom. His side of the family refuses to speak to her. In March of 2020, there were two search warrants that were executed. One was on the home, their regular home, which was on something called Tomahawk Road. And the second was for a property in another place where Jeffrey had kept like vintage cars. And apparently he had purchased six months after Angela disappeared. During the warrant, during all of this, you would think that they would find something, but they really didn't. All that they found was an empty urn that looked brand new. Why would you have a weird empty urn? I mean, maybe he thought that they wouldn't look in the freaking urn. They'd just be like, oh, urn, she's dead. Right. Let me leave. They, maybe he was trying to play it off or like maybe thinking, oh, I can find ashes at some point and just put them in there and be like, oh, that's her. You know what I mean? Like maybe that's what he was thinking. Who knows? Right. Who the hell knows? So at this point, they can't find anything. There's no proof of her death or anything related to, to, to a death. She's just a missing person. I could have stopped here, but this is when the article from recently came in. So... At this point, it's been nearly a year since Ellie reported her mom missing because we're almost in February of 2021. She reported her missing in February of 2020. In the past year, there has been some movement in the case, but there's a lot of stuff that Detective Sergeant Adam Taylor calls, quote unquote, mysterious. And then Fox 4 News in Kansas, they also have been reporting on the case. So Fox 4 went through basically what could be shared because it's still an active investigation. So there's some information. From the minute that Sergeant Adam Taylor started investigating the case, he knew that they were already working with things against them. They were already behind because, remember, the last time anybody saw her was July. She didn't get reported missing till February. So he basically had all of those months to, like, do shit and, like, figure out a story. So they were working months and months behind on the case. Sergeant Taylor is quoted as saying, quote, It's a challenge, but just like everything else, we overcome challenges every day and we adapt to them and we investigate what we can. The last time anybody saw her was eight months before she was reported missing. So in the past year, they have, like I said, executed three search warrants. Nothing was really doing anything. He stated that they're working with the FBI, the KBI, the crime lab. They have evidence that's out there, but they're just still waiting for certain results to come back. So they still don't have anything conclusive. And we also have to remember she was reported during the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic here. So it's going to definitely take a vaccine. Right. And right now, Jeffrey's at the center of it, but he's not really cooperating. But And there's no evidence on him, so what's he going to... Like, he's sitting pretty. No, but they do have some stuff, because Ellie started recording conversations with her father. Ooh, see, I'm loving all... I'm seeing all this, like, women, like, daughters of sisters of these people that have gone missing that are just recording family members and, like, getting them caught. Well, yeah, because... You know, of course, like Chrissy said, beginning of the coronavirus, so that she probably had to do some of her own detective work. But her her, her cousin is also a lawyer, so I'm sure her cousin probably told her she could do this. So we're going to go through the conversations that Ellie has had with her father and his multiple changing stories. There's a lot of stories that don't not only don't make sense, but probably couldn't have happened. It just, just doesn't, it's not feasible. So right. we're going to go through all the stories. It's going to sound repetitive, but we have to go through them. According to the back and forth, remember, Jeffrey claims that A, Angela was forced into a mental institution where she died. She was cremated by either the facility or an unknown funeral home. He doesn't know. An unknown person from an unknown organization delivered ashes to his home that he paid $1,500 for an urn ashes. 
Ellie said she's seen pictures of the urn, but hasn't seen proof of her mother's remains. She asked why there was no death certificate, and it was just a bunch of stories. So I'm going to read you some of the stuff from their phone calls. During one of their recorded phone calls, her father, Jeffrey, goes, I got a call that she was, she has passed away, so... Ellie states, but you can't tell me anything about that call or who called you or where or anything. Jeffrey, no, because I was very busy at that particular point in time. So I didn't worry about it because I knew that information would come in different ways. He was too busy to ask more questions about his wife's death. So Ellie goes, but you didn't excuse yourself from work. Like whenever I call you, you excuse yourself from work. She said that she wanted to like, she wanted him to go step by step what he says actually happened. That way she can keep track of all the stories. He just said, Angela was taken to a mental health facility. The handoff to care workers happened in the parking lot of a supermarket. Again, that doesn't make any sense. I think he's describing paying someone to kidnap her at the parking lot. That's what he's really describing. Right. He was like, she, so Ellie goes, how did you take her away? Like she wanted a step-by-step. He said, we met the mental health people in the store parking lot and it was a struggle. There was a struggle because they were freaking coyotes or kidnappers that were shoving her into a van. That's probably what it was. <sighs> Sad. Yeah. But then later in the calls, he said that never happened, that the story was false. And he can't explain why he said this to her and why that he why he told her Angela was not taken or why she was taken and then dead. So Ellie goes, you literally told me that she was not taken away in a public parking lot with people. Jeffrey goes, well, I thought that I was going to try and do that. And then I figured that that not, may not be the best thing. So I told her that I was going to have people come and pick her up and she was going to go to the hospital. That's that's That was his explanation for why he told her that, but then told her it didn't happen. Oh, I was going to do that. You know who this sounds like? The worst liar that's ever been not guilty in history. Casey Anthony. Yeah. Backtracking every story, going back, going forth, making people up. Like, this sounds like Casey Anthony talking about what happened after her daughter went missing. This yep. is exactly what this sounds like to me. So an FBI special agent in charge named Michael Tabman said, quote, anytime law enforcement looks at changing stories, it raises suspicion. And when you can't explain someone's death, that's not the same as not remembering. Was that a green car or a blue car or what time of the day it was? That's something that you remember. So again, yes, you can forget details about something. I can forget what time it was. I can forget what the person was wearing. I can't forget if the person's alive or not or like if they were taken away to a mental health facility. That's just, that's not Especially something Especially when it's the last few moments you remember seeing your wife. There's no way that you would forget right. that. No way. Unless you're just a heartless bastard or suffer some kind of short-term memory loss. Those are the only explanations. He sounds like he needs to be put in a mental health facility. Sounds like he needs to be in jail. So then the next thing they went through was he had told Ellie that Angela's ashes were delivered to the family home, but that he never actually made arrangements to have her cremated. He said he just received that call to his job from an unknown person and that they died, that Angela had died in their care. He was busy, had to get them off the phone. And that was basically like a request to Did drop off remains. Did the police even have a name of this mental facility? No, it's an unknown person from an unknown facility or a nursing home. They don't know who. Here's the thing. Like I said, in Kansas, it is illegal to cremate somebody without a death certificate. And we already know that she doesn't have one. So there's no possible way that someone from any funeral home or any facility just cremated someone on your behalf and dropped them off to your house. Let's entertain this idea that he did actually throw her a facility of some form let's let's entertain this idea for two seconds where is your receipt for the payment made where's the proof right where's the medical history that they probably gave you where's the release papers where's all the things that people actually get when they actually are institutionalized you have nothing would you throw them out in the garbage right outside of the facility this makes zero sense and it sounds like the biggest lie of all time 
So Ellie questions it. She goes, well, the death certificate is needed when you cremate somebody. Jeffrey goes, yeah, but I don't know that I need to get a death certificate for cremation. I don't have a clue how that all works. She's like, and you chose not to look it up and research anything about it? Like, it's not, no, 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 that's not, I, listen, I mean, I've had family members die. My mother's the first person immediately close to me that has died where I've had to take care of them. And let me tell you, I didn't know shit about it. Still knew that you can't, like, there's still steps mm-hmm. that, that, are, that are taken. No funeral home on any place in this country is going to call you up and say, hey, this person died. Give me $1,500. I'm going to ship their remains to you. That is not what fucking happens. You have to send. First of all, it takes a little bit to get the death certificate from wherever the person passed away. So whatever facility would have had to had to report it. The funeral home is the one that gets a death certificate. Like, that's, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, that's, isn't that the primary thing, too? Um, it depends. If you put them in a facility, no, because, like, I didn't, we didn't have to identify my mom's, um, because Got she was it. in a they facility. They already knew who she, she was, was like, right. There. Mm. But she already had a funeral home. The funeral home is the one that took her body and reported the death, and they're the ones who got the death certificate, death certificates because I picked up the death certificate from the funeral home. So there is no unknown person calling you, making that decision for you, and not, they would have given him the death certificate and then right. cremated her. Jeffrey, after say after Ellie said, like, hey, you didn't even think to fucking research this, he goes, no, Pam Scott, the executive director, director of the Kansas Funeral Directors Association, said a facility or funeral home will never make that decision for family because they legally can't. Scott also said there is an instance where someone in Kansas could be cremated legally without a cremator's permit. So Ellie actually reached out to the Department of Vital Statistics, and she said that there is no record of a permit, that they told her before it can be attained. Guess what you need? A death certificate. So yeah. Jeffrey's saying that he's not sure how this works. Yeah, That's how it he's works. He's a liar. And Ellie very quickly found these things out by making a couple phone calls. They lived in something called Prairie Village in Kansas. It sounds so cute. According to their police officers, there's no record of Angela's death in the entire country. Like we said, they searched nationwide. There's no record of her death. One of the investigating people said that when someone is cremated, it has to be signed off on because it's a serious process. It's not just easy. And... Once a body is buried, it can be exhumed, but once somebody is cremated, there's no going back. So funeral homes and crematories make sure that they have the correct body, the family does not want that the family does want the cremation, and obviously they don't want to cremate someone where the person who has the authority to make those decisions signing off on it is like suspected of anything. So like they do there's a lot of steps to getting someone cremated. It's not just like, hey, hey, take my wife and cremate her. Like they don't do that. There's steps to be taken. So this whole cremation story makes And if it was real, it was illegal. Right, and nobody's going to illegally do that because you could lose your entire funeral home for doing that. So in another record of calls, now Ellie knows that all these stories are fucking false because she's listening to him and then doing her own research. Um, Ellie asked her dad what he's going to do to help her find her mother. He said, I'm not doing anything about mom in your eyes, therefore I shouldn't. I can't do anything at all, period, is kind of how you're looking at it. So he's blaming her for why he's not doing shit. Well, you know, to you, I'm not doing anything, so I'm not going to do anything. Ellie goes, well, what is doing anything about mom in your eyes? And Jeffy goes, I don't know. You keep coming up, talking to these people, hiring those people, going there, doing this. And I tell you that she left and I'm not happy about that. She's an adult and if she decides to leave, fine, she can leave. We talk about her coming, but I don't want her back the way she was. That's his answer. The way she was. Because she because she was, one, he doesn't want to discuss this because now he's pissed off that Ellie's actually doing research because I think he just expected her to follow his dumbass lies. And he doesn't want her back the way she was because he's still living this story of her having a mental health crisis that we already know she didn't have. He kind of like let something slip there because it's like, 
what are you trying to say you don't want her back the way she was? What was wrong with her if that was your wife? So many times Ellie asked, what was the mental health crisis? And he never answered. All of a sudden, you don't want her back the way she was. So what was the way that she yeah. was? He, he, has he no probably means like an attitude or a behavior or something that he didn't like, or he has a side chick or who knows? You know what I mean? Like this guy sounds sus. For all we know, the minute that Ellie left for college, she started asking questions. Why does questions. he need a second home when he's a single person? Like I, at this point, that's the third property. Yeah, that he owns. I don't like, know. It sounds like he's needed. hiding a lot from this family. So the FBI dude, Michael Tabman says, quote, I think we see what we consider odd reactions to somebody losing their wife. Generally, we have expectations how someone would respond and how they would tell their daughter. You would call them immediately. I'm trying to put myself in that sad situation. We can't figure out why someone would try and keep it a secret. Um, they don't believe that Angela's alive based on the fact that there's been no, no sign of her for more than a year and there's been no activity or anything on the cards. However, there have been stranger things that have happened. So, you know, you don't know. And he basically said, quote, you need evidence. You need to walk into court with evidence with, a, with, with that is solid and incontrovertible, which they don't have. They don't have anything solid. They just have a bunch of lies, but there's no there's no proof. And he's like, he's like, you can't just walk into court and be like, no, I don't like this guy's reactions. Obviously, he did it, but that won't cut it. You can't just go and say he lied a bunch of times. I there's wish there no was a law about proof. lying when someone's missing, though, because it seems like there should be yeah. because you're stopping, you're halting an investigation. There should be some kind of fine or payment or some kind of something that goes along with that in my opinion because like if my spouse went missing I would be like he was wearing a green shirt khaki pants this that I would know every second I mean I would go into my phone and tell you the very last time that I saw him look at his phone on his whatsapp it's weird I'm one of those people when I panic I can remember every detail about things so like it's just one of those things where I don't understand but the why thing is, they're not even asking him to remember details they're just asking him to stop yeah. fucking lying it's like, we, you, okay, maybe you don't remember what exact color their shirt was because, you know. Like, my point is, is he can't even say the name of a place he dropped her off. That goes to show you that. that it was down south. Yeah, you, th you thought so little about the lie that you can't even pick a place. You didn't even Google a spot that could be realistic because you don't want someone going there and saying, oh, no, this person never showed up. It's an easy way to mask everything and pretend that you have no clue what's going on. It's so easy. But he's changed his story so many times. If he stuck with one thing, yep. he might have been, it, there, I would have been like, okay, whatever. Like, even if he knew it was a lie, at least stick with one story and just stay firm with it. No, he wanted to keep changing his stories. She went from dead to missing to she took off willingly. Usually that starts the reverse. Why did he start it that way? It seems like that was another psychological thing he revealed. Like, it was a big reveal there. A lot of people opinion. are suspicious about, like I said, he hired a criminal defense attorney. The guy's name was Paul Cram. He had represented an admitted killer in 2007. And they were like, you know, he has a right to seek counsel, but his counsel and him refuse to speak to anybody. They don't make any comments. They say absolutely nothing. They've reached out to him. They reach out to everybody. So they say that, like, they understand hiring a lawyer, but why this lawyer? Like, why? And why no comment? If you're innocent, why no comment? So Ellie said that she she's not going to stop until she finds answers. And she hopes her mom is proud of her for speaking up for her. She actually has done so many things in addition to the Dateline special that she hopes gets more attention to her mom's case and working with the police and working with her cousin. Um, she's actually decided to transfer to the University of Colorado to study journalism. 
And back in October, Ellie teamed up with Sarah Turney, which if you guys don't know, she's done all of the work on her sister. That's the one I mentioned, Alyssa Turney. That's who it was. Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. the Voices for Justice podcast where she, and she, she basically used TikTok to get her father, like, arrested for her sister's murder. So Ellie actually did two episodes on Sarah's podcast. And the episode was just, the first episode was just released in Jan- this January at the, around this, you know, and then, then we have oh, the yeah, Dateline Angela special. Green. I just, so, actually, weirdly, I just listened to that first episode. I can't believe I didn't put yeah, this together. Yeah, so there you go. She she got the episode with Sarah Turney's podcast. She's working, she did the Dateline special. She's working with police. So hopefully all of this is going to attract attention. Um, she does believe that her mother was murdered, but she just wants to know what really happened. And she wants to just find her so she can say goodbye to her. You know, everybody wants the closure. So she's hoping, like I said, that all of this exposure helps with new leads. If you have any information regarding the disappearance of Angela Green, you're supposed to contact the Prairie Village Police Department, 913-642-6868, or the Kansas Bureau of Investigation at 785-296-4017. We will put these numbers up in our show notes. Angela is an Asian female. She was 51 years old when she went missing in last year in 2019. She stands 5'9", weighs 116 pounds, brown hair, brown eyes. I will put a picture up of her on our Instagram but I'm hoping that between all of this stuff that some new leads come through or maybe her father grows a fucking conscious and, and says what he really did to her. It's always really sad when there's family murders or family, go- like you know, you know, your family's responsible for doing something to another family member. But imagine having to face that person all the time, knowing that they're lying to you. I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine going through that. Like- and it's your father. She was, and the thing is, if you listen, if you definitely watch a Dateline special, if you listen to the recordings, Ellie is so cool, calm, and collected. I'm not that cool, calm, and collected at 34. She is so calm at like 18, 19. I would have been furious. I would have wanted to reach for the phone and fucking punch somebody. I would have been screaming, yelling, cursing, making a lot of accusations. She never does that. She really just asks some questions and waits for him to answer. And I'm like, you know, you are far better than I am. Because that would not be how that conversation would go down if that was me. I don't even have conversations like that with my father. <laughs> like, And they're nothing about that. I would not be able to. So I definitely commend her on what she's Angela doing. Angela would be proud for sure. But for sure, I just I really hope that all of this attention leads somewhere. She deserves to know what the fuck happened to her mother. And if Jeffrey Green really did do something, which I think he did, he deserves to pay for it. He should not be just living his life free as a bird, lying his fucking ass off. Amen, sister. Who does that? Who does that? Who does that? Who, who does that? So via HuffPost.com, this is, I'd say, more on the weirder side than the who does that side. But Alaska woman attacked by bear while using outhouse. There's a lot of things wrong with that sentence. Ass literally got bit by a black bear. I mean, th- that that's not the worst bear story. And here's a picture of what the black bears look like in Alaska. That is a huge ass bear. A you want to just bite. bite my ass and go? Bite my ass and go. Anchorage, Alaska. An Alaska woman had the scare of a lifetime when using an outhouse in the backcountry and she was attacked by a bear from below. I got out there, sat down on the toilet, and immediately something bit my butt right as I sat. Shannon Stevens told the Associated Press on Thursday. I jumped up and I screamed when it happened. Right. Something bit your ass. Stevens, her brother Eric, and his girlfriend had taken snowmobiles into the wilderness February 13th to stay at his yurt, located about 20 miles northwest of Haines in southeast Alaska. Her brother heard the screaming and went out to the outhouse about 150 feet, or 45.72 meters, away from the yurt. There... He found Shannon tending to her wound. So imagine you go out to see your sister, like, touching She's her like, ass. Like, what happened? happened? Oh, I got bit by a bear. They at first thought she had been bitten by a squirrel or a mink. 
something small, which makes total sense. Like if so for people that have never experienced an outhouse, unfortunately, I have. And I'm not talking about porta potties at Lollapalooza or Coachella. Real outhouses have a bottom space, obviously for waste, but little animals can get inside of it. It's a warm place. Eric bought a headlamp with him to see what it was. Quote, I opened the toilet seat and there's just a bare face just there at the level of the toilet seat, looking right back through the hole right at me, he said. He was looking for a second bite of that ass. <laughs> Definitely was. And you know this bear was a male. He's, he's an ass man, clearly. I mean, maybe she should be a little flattered. Right? I, I just shut the lid as fast as I could. I said, there's a bear down there. We got to get out of here. And we ran back to the yurt as fast as we could. Once safely back inside, they treated Shannon with a first aid kit. They determined it wasn't that serious, but they would head to, ha- to Haynes if it worsened. Quote, it was bleeding, but it wasn't super bad. So she really got lucky. Like, if you think about a bear bite, she could have been missing chunks of her butt if, if the, the bear was prepared enough to bite her. They figured the bear got inside the out- from the outhouse through an opening at the bottom of the back door. I expect it's probably not that bad of a little den in the winter, Shannon said. Alaska Department of Fish and Game Wildlife Management biologist Carl Koch suspects it was a black bear based upon the photo of the tracks he saw and the fact that a neighbor living half a mile away sent him a photo of a black bear on her property two days later. So basically this bear's just kind of chilling around their neighborhood. The homeowner yelled at the bear, but it didn't react. It didn't approach her, but lumbered about its business like it was in a walking hibernation mode. So this bear might be like sleepwalking because even though it's winter, Coach said they get calls all year round about bears being out. And 2020 was a record year for general bear problems in the Haynes area. Of course 2020 was because what weird shit didn't happen 2020 would be the year someone gets their ass bitten by a bear. (laughs) Reasons for that, he said, could include the fact that it was a poor salmon run year combined with a mediocre berry crop so they didn't get they didn't get fed enough so they're literally looking for food it's also possible a bear couldn't put on enough fat when they got in the den they might be out and about more often and earlier he said coach suspects shannon's wound was caused by the bear swatting at her with a paw rather than being he was smacking her ass yeah like a swat either way the location might be a first Quote, as far as getting swatted on the butt when you're sitting down in winter, she could be the only person on earth that this, this has totally ever happened to, to for all you. I know, Coach does. Which is hysterical because if Vicky or I were out in there or my other friend who just came to visit me, if the three of us were out there, this Absolutely. would happen to us. And then this woman named Shannon. Uh, who does that is perfect for this because this is something that's so rare. But, of course, I can see it happening to me or you, for sure. No matter what the season, Eric says he'll carry bear spray with him all the time when he's going into the backcountry. Shannon plans to change one behavior as well. Quote, I'm just going to be better about looking inside the toilet seat, sitting down for sure, she said. So the moral of that story for the who does that is, who doesn't look down before they pee? Stay the fuck away from nature. This is why I don't go camping and I don't do this shit. Camp all you want. I'm sorry, I completely disagree with that. I don't do Just nature. watch where you pee. The funny thing is, whenever I use a toilet that isn't mine, I look I look at the toilet seat just because I want to see, see how much I have to squat. If it's not in my ba- in my personal bathroom, I have to see my environment and like the, the surrounding area. I don't understand why you wouldn't look. So it's crazy. And plus, I don't believe in like I would definitely have been squatting. There's no way I would have I would sat never. Down, so. I would never. I would never. <laughs> I can't. I can't sit on anybody's toilet seat but mine. But yes, guys, if you're in Alaska and you have to use an outhouse, please look Look, down. look for bare please. faces. Or bear paws, apparently. Imagine if he actually did bite her. If She'd she be missing was really bitten in the ass by a bear, she would be missing a piece of her ass. After that type of episode, we kind of needed that. Who does that? Totally. 
As always, please like, subscribe, leave us a review, but most importantly, stay weird, Americas. Bye. Bye.